back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What's up, Dolphin fans, and welcome into the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins, each and every day. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose, your recap dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins do fall to Seattle and to one and three. We'll get to the five takeaways, the stats from the game, individual performances. We'll hear from coach and the players as well as John Kinjemi with his three takeaways. We'll go over the post-game notes and a whole bunch more on this game recap, this Sunday, October the 4th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And support for Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation. There are so many reasons to drive pink, but for AutoNation, there's only one to finish the fight against cancer. In fact, AutoNation has helped raise over $25 million to drive out cancer. To join the fight, visit the AutoNation store near you or drivepink.com. Let's go ahead and start this podcast as we do every single Sunday, recapping your Miami Dolphins as they fall 31-23 to to the Seattle Seahawks. Good battle back and forth. Dolphins go toe-to-toe with one of the NFC elites and now the 4-0 Seattle Seahawks as they prevail once more in the fourth quarter as they do with that quarterback and with that coach. We talked about it on the Thursday podcast. This guy has 29 fourth quarter comebacks and 22 game-winning drives, so it's just... It's kind of kind of par for the course for Russell Wilson. Dolphins were there, had a chance to make some plays at the end. It came out the other way. Again, a few plays go the other direction, as kind of has been the case in a few of these games this year. Dolphins could have found victory, but could not finish. Something Brian Flores and the players talked about post-game in this one. And we're going to hear from those guys here in just one second. But real quick on the statistics, Dolphins go for 414 yards. Seahawks go for 441. Miami has 103 on the ground compared to Seattle's 98 rushing yards. Dolphins pass for 312. Seattle 343 on third and fourth down Miami was seven out of 13 the Seahawks just four of 11 that includes a fourth down stop down in the red zone on an Emmanuel Ogba sack that'll come up here shortly in the five takeaways speaking of takeaways Miami they get one Seahawks get two both interceptions there of Ryan Fitzpatrick Xavier Howard gets the pick on Russell Wilson Dolphins got two sacks on Russell Wilson Fitz was sacked just one time and in this game only three penalties and 20 total yardage combined among the two teams and those were all distributed to the Miami Dolphins Seahawks didn't have any penalties or any yards on the day Time of possession goes to the Dolphins as well, 33 minutes and 9 seconds to Seattle's 26-51 of game time having the football. So with that, we'll go ahead and jump right into the five takeaways. And I'm going to start here, and I was trying to figure out how to structure this, but I want to end with my, I think my favorite or my most important takeaway, the one that I think that we should all kind of step back and take a look at contextually and apply context because as I've said for so very long now, process over results, man. Like, yeah, the results are going to be what puts you, you know, ahead in the scoreboard. And there's no debating how important that is. It's the most important thing. But if you want to think about, you know, in a 16 game sample size football season, where the team might be going or where things might be trending, you want to look more in depth. You want to have a 
a broader view, not just look at the one single wins and losses and think that's what the football team is in every element. There is so much that goes on on game day and from Sunday through Friday or from Monday through Saturday, rather before game day on Sunday. And it's important to have context to everything that goes into a football game, the countless hours that are worked and coached and put on the practice field in the weight room. I just think it's very disingenuous to not take a full bird's eye approach and and make everything contextual when it comes to such an esoteric sport like football that is so complex and so difficult to to learn, to describe, and to really be able to evaluate yourself. So just that's the theme of this podcast tonight, having context behind this 31-23 loss to the Seattle Seahawks. And we start here with takeaway number one, and I'm going to go back into the secondary where I was really impressed with these guys, you know, in earnest for all about three or four plays in this game. We talked all week about Russell Wilson on the podcast, on the Blitz, on the top news, on the game preview, on the flashback. He was in every segment we did, and that's because he's one of the two or three best football players on the entire planet, and he's been showing that through the first three weeks. And maybe I was, you know, I, I find my perspective a little bit different up in the press box, but maybe up there, I to me, he never like took over the game. And that was a, a great sign of progress for the Dolphins on that end because this guy has taken over great defenses time and time again. The, you know, the Patriots in week two, Russell Wilson went up and down the field and they couldn't do anything to stop him because when you are that good at that position in this league, the way it's tailored, it's impossible to stop a quarterback who's red hot. You just cannot do it. That's why we have all these gaudy stats nowadays. And the Dolphins were able to at least in some semblance, limit Russell Wilson, I thought, more so than what he has done the rest of the season combined. And look, the deep ball at the end of the first half, at the end of the first half, that just can't happen. It can't. You see the safety up top roll over to the other side of the formation. Then you've got Igbenogany and Van Noy with a two-man route combination to that side of the field, a high-low type of deal. One goes short, one goes deep. You just cannot let that guy get behind you. You cannot do it. Cannot do it. But that's one we throw in the trash. The deep shot to lock it sucks too, but that's what this offense has done. Like we just said, they've done it to everybody all year. They've gotten vertical to DK Metcalf, to Tyler Lockett. David Moore got involved today. The touchdown off the interception, that's another play that I think you want to get rid of. Such a deflating moment there because that's the moment where up in the press box, for instance, the sports writers... They know where their story is going. Their post-game story has the final direction they need to take it in. Like after the Jacksonville game, for instance, after the first couple of drives, I'm thinking, okay, this Dolphins coming out strong, putting up a big lead. This is probably going to be my story lead. I'll go ahead and write that. And if it mounts that way, we'll continue the story that way. And so that Jacksonville story was done within the first two quarters of that game because it never really changed. But in this game, the storyline kept changing. Three or four times it changed. And that moment, the Fitzpatrick interception, that's kind of when you start to get your fingers in the keyboard thinking, okay, this game might go a certain way right now. And that's what happened. And, you know, I was furiously typing away at that moment because how many times have you heard the broadcaster when you're watching a football game say, Look for them to take a shot right here coming off the turnover. It happens, and it happened. But what about the rest of the Dolphins secondary? You lose your captain and free safety for a couple of series and Bobby McCain. Jamal Perry stepped in, and I thought he did a good job. I'd love to go back and watch the tape. I don't have that available to me right now, but you know we'll do that later in the week. But I thought he played well, and he, you know, he played safety a smidge in training camp last year. And I wrote a little joke in my notes here that Jamal Perry has always been a corner because he changed his name from Jamal Wilts to Jamal Perry this offseason, and he played some safety a little bit last year in camp. But for the most part, he was in that slot position last year, and he's been playing there a lot this year as well. Well, so for him to step into that free safety role, good work and good versatility and good next man up mentality there. 
Noah Igbenogany is a player that they're going to continue to count on on this defense. He is a player that has such high upside that so many folks have spoken so highly of him, both at Auburn and now with the Miami Dolphins, coaches, players alike. They love this kid. He's super young, the youngest player in the entire National Football League. Dolphins have mixed in plenty of zone and man coverage in this game and this season now. And he was with Tyler Lockett for a fair share of the game today. And he only caught two passes for 39 yards, Lockett did. And this is a guy that's, you know, gone to Pro Bowls before as a wide receiver. So he's getting some big time assignments. And, you know, there's going to be some bumps along the road. That's what Coach Flores said today. He's going to have some highs and some lows. And we know he's going to come back and compete and be resilient. And we're going to coach him and he'll be better for it. And I agree with Coach Flores there. He's only going to be better for seeing all this tough competition through the first couple of games. A a baptism by fire, so to speak, here in the first four games of his NFL career. Now, how about Xavier Howard on the other side of the ball? I was on my tweet deck slash had my notes up and I saw somebody tweet one of my one of the people I follow on Dolphins Twitter said, how about Xavier Howard play right here? We, we, we've lost Bobby. He's down right now. He's not in the game. We, and Byron Jones isn't in there. How about a play from X? And what does he do? Goes out and gets one. And we're going to get to this on the inside the numbers, but he's got nearly as many picks the last two games as he does receptions allowed. His 14 picks since last December or since December rather of 2017 are the most in the National Football League. Think about that. He missed 13 games over that span and he's got 14 picks. Guy is a straight ball hawk playmaker. That was the title of my Blitz article on Friday talking about Xavier Howard and he goes out and gets another pick up against DK Metcalf from Russell Wilson who had thrown one pick all season long so far this year. Eric Rowe just continues to be a solid player back there for me. I still can't believe Greg Olson caught that ball that he got a hand on. Rowe got it from behind and he even signaled incomplete because you tip the ball as a defender, you think that's my job. I probably got the incompletion, but the ball lands on Greg Olson's lap as he's fallen to the ground. It made no sense to me when I saw it live from the press box and then it made less sense when I saw it on the replay. So that was the one catch, I think, for a, a chunk gain of yardage there that I saw Eric Rowe, you know, I guess give up as a part of, but just a, a bad bounce and a great play there from Greg Olson. So, and speaking of the bad bounces, the fumble the Seahawks had, this is off topic, but I just, it's in my notes. The fumble the Seahawks had on Chris Carson when Landon Roberts came in with Kyle Van Noy and they kind of stacked him up and, and hit him and he fumbled the football. There was a pile of four Dolphins right there and one Seahawk in the area. And of course, he's the one that falls on it. Just, that's just the way football goes sometimes, man. The ball bounces a couple of different ways. They get that fumble. Olsen doesn't catch that pass. Who knows what the outcome of the game is. And then to finish this segment here, Byron Jones, again, was not out there for the game. They ruled him out on Friday, or he was doubtful on Friday, ruled out inactive today before the game. But he talked last week, and I think this is very important to listen to, about the importance of communication and growing that development together for the defensive back room. We had Bobby McCain post game say something similar about how communication has to get stronger and how they just have to continue to work in that area as a secondary, as a defense, and as a team. And here's what Byron Jones had to say on just that fact on Friday when he last spoke to the media. We're still growing. Um, there's no question about that. We have Noah, who's a really talented young rookie, but he just hadn't seen a lot. But I can tell you this, um, you know, he's probably one of the most impressive young guys I've seen in a very long time. And the way he approaches the game, you know, it's, this kid is here early. He's there early with the coach looking at film. He's there late. Um, the way he practices and the way he, he really approaches practice is really impressive for a young guy to understand that. And uh, for me, just to see X, when he came back towards the end of camp, I think his first couple of days, he got like two or three picks. I'm like, <laughs> you can see his playmaking ability right away. Um, so it's it's going to be special, but it's going to take work. Um, you really have to bond together as a unit. It's not just about having um, just really good players on the roster. You really have to develop a bond and, and really develop that level of communication 
uh, that can really lead us to a different level. Um, there's a lot more than just the, the physical talent. Uh, there's a lot of mental talent. There's trusting each other, knowing that this person is going to be where he's supposed to be, um, knowing you have inside help, outside help, wherever the, whatever it may be. So we're still developing that, but um, that's a fun challenge going through the year. Yeah, I just think that really that really perfectly addresses this Dolphins secondary. I'll take Byron Jones's word on that over anything right now. And again, four games into a, a team that has been really really overturned a lot. It's, you know, we're going to find out a lot about these guys over the course of the next 12 games for the rest of the season and find out what they're made of. And, you know, I'm excited to see them try to rise to that challenge. I think that's going to be kind of the story of the year and how they bounce back from one and three start played much better the second half of last year. We'll see if they can do that. The final three quarters of this season up next takeaway. Number two, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba. That's just the takeaway. I think the, the things you brought them in to do, they are showing why you brought them in to do that. The length on the way they're able to stack the edge there. And this is mostly Emmanuel Ogba in this game, who I thought played really well defending the outside run, getting pressure on the quarterback, stacking up the edge and making that strong edge, setting a solid, strong edge that, that the offense has to respect and cut back inside and work off that. I think that he did a fantastic job in that area, had a big TFL, had a couple of other stacks where he was able to force the back to bubble and allow his teammates, his friends, his playmakers around him to come in, clean it up and make plays that way. There was only one play where I remember Seattle significantly winning the edge big time and they had it said it was Andrew Van Ginkle, but then it was David Moore on that pop pass on the little jet sweep, just puts a little move on Van Ginkle and he got him a little bit, got him out over his skis and he won the edge that way. But for the most part, I thought the edge was strong all game long and these guys have really been a big part of that Shaq Lawson Emmanuel Ogba both playing so many snaps and doing what they were supposed to do stacking the, stacking up bodies setting a strong edge and creating plays for everybody else in the running game as well as making their own too but they also rushed the quarterback and Ogba's sack was a very classic Emmanuel Ogba sack that's just the way he gets after the quarterback heavy hands he loves to kind of draw the punch out of the offensive lineman and then slaps those things away and then he can dip and bend the arc which is impressive for a guy that big my goodness this guy is tall and long and he's able to get around that edge bend it tuck it and get to the quarterback and get him on the ground had that big big sack on fourth down that was such a huge play at that time in the game and then Shaq Lawson his sack too it came right after an Ogba TFL just a really damn good play from Shaq Lawson kind of I think on Ogba's sack, he was over the he was right around the five technique position, if my memory serves me correctly. So he kind of had to, you know, line up across from the tackle and then or the four technique, five technique, and kind of work off the outside shoulder. Shaq Lawson's was very similar. They're not in that really wide set edge where they kind of can just run around the edge and use speed and maybe a spin move back inside. They line up over the tackle and they, they're able to work into the backfield from that position. Thought Shaq Lawson did the exact same thing and then did a great job to keep his eyes on Wilson and break down there because even though it's the pocket, it's still open space, right? Because Wilson can flee in either direction to break down and get a hand on him and get him to the ground. And, and he got injured in the process of doing that but he came back from the injury. So that was great to see. I thought that that entire process of that play was just really good work from Shaq Lawson. Takeaway number three, and we'll kind of go towards the negative here. It's just the red zone woes and, and Dolphins talked about it. Coaches talked about it. Players talked about it. They've got to find a way to execute down in that red zone. That's where football games are won and lost. There are schemes and defenses built on the idea of bending but not breaking. If we can hold you to three, we trust that our guys can score seven enough to go out and win football games. And I think there are certainly opponents that you feel you have to be a little more aggressive against and go get more points against or just execute better down in the red zone against because they are more liable to 
to come around the back end and score. And the Dolphins were staying in pace for that game because besides the 7-0 start when things kind of got you know, ugly early, the game was never in a situation where it was two scores until very late in the game. So to continue to stay in that battle and kick a field goal and, and stay and play good defense on Russell Wilson and, and, you know, through the first seven drives of that game, Seattle had 17 points on offense. So to be able to do that and kind of understand, okay, our defense is playing really well today. Let's keep them in the game by continuously putting points on the board and staying on the field and converting third downs and keeping their defense on the field and keeping their quarterback on the sideline. But at the end of the day, there's still going to be enough drives at the end there for Russell Wilson, and he just showed you what he can do. So to be able to kind of bog down in the red zone, that was a big reason why this game didn't come back in favor of the good guys, in favor of the home team. And on a few of those third down plays, you know, Coach and, and Flora and or Ryan Fitzpatrick rather both talked about execution. On the Dolphins' second field goal, they had a fourth and or a third and three rather from the 11 yard line and could not convert on a Fitzpatrick pass to Isaiah Ford. Would wind up kicking a field goal from 29 yards. You feel if you get a first down there inside the 10, you feel good about scoring. So that's a chance right there, a play where you can maybe swift the the flow of the game four points in your direction that's the second field goal of the game on the third field goal they had a third and four and this one goes incomplete from Fitzpatrick to Jakeem Grant and they would end up kicking a 45 yard field goal that one came out from the 27 yard line so maybe it's not you know as such a surefire thing to get closer to the end zone but fourth and three or, or, four, or third and four and third and three you feel good about your chances to convert those over the course of a, lot, a large sample size at least your percentage wise on the fourth field goal it was fourth and five from the Seattle 25 yard line Sanders made it from 43 yards out so again fourth and five and we'll see if you can get that's you know that's not as easy as fourth and short as far as the the stats stay as far as converting those third and fourth downs and then the final one in the middle of the fourth quarter with about eight minutes 20 seconds to go Dolphins had a third and three at the nine yard line and if Gaskin can find a way to you know if they can get some push there and get a couple positive yardage maybe the difference is the outcome is different there with a fourth and shorter but you go back to fourth and five there that certainly makes things a lot more challenging for the coach to make a decision on going for it or kicking so those are just a few plays those three plays right there with third and three or four to go if you can convert those again just like the plays the Greg Olson play or the fumble if you can get those to go the other direction you're talking about possibly a different football game but still at the end of the day it's up to these guys to execute in the red zone to find a way to look at those third and four third and three plays convert them execute them Let's go ahead and hear from Brian Flores and Ryan Fitzpatrick on the red zone, red zone execution. Let's go ahead and start here with Coach first. I mean, I think it's just execution down in the red zone. That's what it boils down to. Um, look, when you get down there, it's, the throwing lanes are tighter. Um, the safeties are closer to the box, so the run game's you got more guys in the box. Um, it's harder to score in the red zone. and you got to have really good execution. We didn't have that today. And, you know, Again, against a good team, you got to punch it in. Um, and even though we didn't, you know, we were close. But at the end of the day, you know, those points, you know, uh, three instead of seven, they add up. And, uh, you know, we need every point, especially against a team like that. Yeah, especially against a team like that. The Seattle Seahawks obviously going to be a tough out anywhere you get them. So if you can get seven points instead of three, obviously that helps you. And that was the story of the day, says Dolphins quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I, I thought that was the story of the day. Um, you know, being able to move the ball effectively and not being able to do anything in the red zone. And, um, you know, whether it was a penalty or poor execution or, you know, just a, a bad read by me, it just seemed like every time we got down there, something popped up. And uh, red zone execution, 
really falls on the quarterback. And so, you know, for me, I, I walk out of this game feeling terrible in that I felt like there was a lot of guys on our team that played well enough to win, and I unfortunately was not one of them. And when that happens and your quarterback doesn't play, you know, up to his ability, then you're not going to win a whole lot of games in this league. And those thoughts obviously corroborated there and backed up by the rest of the players we spoke to, Ted Karras, Miles Gaskin, Bobby McCann. They all talked about finishing, and that includes both red zone offensively and finishing on the defensive side. So takeaway number three, red zone woes are kind of the story of the day here. Number four is Jason Sanders, nine for nine now on this season. Hasn't missed a point after attempt. He has the best field goal percentage in team history, franchise history, over the course of his career. Had such a strong camp. I seriously do not recall him missing a field goal. Now, granted, we don't have the best angle from my spot, but I do not remember him going wide in either direction. He was so money all the time. I have the utmost confidence in three points on the board when they call Jason Sanders out there, and he's nine for nine from field goals, no missed PATs in the year, so why wouldn't you trust him? But also, the kickoff pooches, I think that was the first time that I recall the I mean, any game this year, kickoffs getting returned. Typically, it goes to the back of the end zone. A touchback. He did a great job of pooching that one down in the corner. Got a funky bounce. And if from there, you almost have a chance to recover a possible you know, fumble or, or whatever, live ball inside the 10-yard line. The Seahawks wind up grabbing it, running out to the 11-yard line, puts them back on the shadow of their own goal line. So great job by Jason Sanders and the kicking game in this one. And the fifth takeaway, my final takeaway, my, my kind of ending thought for you guys here is that this is a resilient bunch. This Dolphins team is a very resilient group. You talk about these, the way these guys kind of handled themselves at the end of the game on the post-game pressers, their demeanor after the game. They're upset, man. They're mad. They care. And I was too. I'm glad the drive from, you know, Hard Rock Stadium to my apartment is about 15 minutes away because I hate that drive home. I've made it twice now after the Buffalo game, after the Seattle game. It's like beautiful in South Florida. And all I can think about is, man, if we just get two or three plays the other way, we could have been driving home with a victory here, but didn't go out that way. I care. And that's the same demeanor you felt from these players today. And I understand it's a new year, a new team, but I saw this same coach last year rally a team that had far more reasons to be downtrodden and pack it in than they are right now. And they never did. And this team won't either. That's the one thing I can promise you. Like I'm not supposed to speak in, you know, definitive platitudes, but this team will not close up shop. That's not the, that's not the mentality of this team, of this coach. They're just not going to be a team that backs down from the challenge. They're going to rise up to it. And this team is, they were close in all three of these games. All three losses are against teams who are combined 10 and one as the Buffalo Bills game just went final as I'm recording this podcast. And there was legitimate chances to win each of those games in the fourth quarter. They had the lead against Buffalo 20 to 17 in the fourth quarter. They had a chance to capture a lead with about eight minutes in the fourth quarter today. We talked about the third and three with Miles Gaskin. He gets a couple positive yards. Maybe it goes the other direction. They have a They have more time of possession in this game. They are better on third downs. They sacked Wilson more than Ryan Fitzpatrick got sacked, which by the way, that's six sacks allowed in four games for your Dolphins offensive line. They rushed for more yards than the Seahawks. They were not overmatched. I talked about how Wilson never seemed to really take over the game, except for maybe a couple of big plays here, but he wasn't consistently hitting big passes and just chewing up your defense. Aside from that bad start, and let's go ahead and hear from Bobby McCain real quick on the Dolphins start of this game. Interception on offense, on a tip pass, albeit, and then a fairly quick score there from Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense on the other side to go down 7-0 in the first five minutes of the game. I asked Bobby post game about how 
what the defense did the first seven possessions to limit Russell Wilson in this explosive offense to only 17 points. He talked about how they had to start better, how they have to finish better. Here he is talking about how a poor start can kind of, you know, it's good to get that that important tone set early. Here's Bobby McCain on starting better. Um, just get stops, communicate defensively, be better. Uh, in the back end, up front, uh, as a unit, we got to be better. We got to start faster. Uh, as a team, we got to start fast and come out with a with, with energy and, and come out and just have a good start to the game because when you get behind in the game and you get down in the game, it makes things it makes things hard on you and you, you, you have your back against the wall. And so aside from that bad start, this game was always competitive, going toe-to-toe with a legit contender, and they just came up short. And not finishing leaves a very sour taste in your mouth, and I get that, I feel that, but having a broader view is so important. I see a team that's improved in several key areas, a team that's growing and learning. They need to learn how to finish, which is a very learned skill in this league. You have to learn how to close out those close games. And that's one of the things that Flores will certainly be talking about when he talks about building on what you've done for the guys that have been successful in practice and in games that he feels like he always says, I feel good about where he's at. To continue building on that means to continue to work better. So those four or five plays, you can make them so they do go your way so you can get that W. It's the margin for error in this league is so, so short. And how about the evaluation of this team from Fitz we heard earlier. He talked about shouldering the blame on his own, you know, taking the blame for himself down in the red zone, not executing for some of the players who he thought played well enough to win the game, but he felt like he didn't. That evaluation from your quarterback, from your very honest, transparent 37-year-old leader of your football team, I think that speaks volumes about where he thinks this team is, where they can be, where they should be, and where they eventually will get to if they just continue to stay the course and work hard and get better and make that daily improvement to get the talent up to speed and get playing on the same page, on the same level. Because this team did bring in a bunch of talent and they are so much better and so much closer than they were this time a year ago. And I think it's very obvious to see that so far. So he talked about this team, you know, with that that comment about him not getting his job done and so many players playing what he said was well enough to win. And that in conjunction with what he said last week about this team you know, he said they were upset. It was good to see guys upset after the game, after the one and three record now. But last week after beating Jacksonville, he said they had plenty of guys who thought they were better than their 0-2 record. And I think he's right. And look, I get it. Results-based business, but context matters and context tells you that they went down to the wire with three teams everybody had in the postseason playoff bracket prediction and wiped out the fourth team on the schedule from the word go from the first drive of the game. So you keep watching for the improvement. I think you'll find it. How about some of the post-game notes here from MiamiDolphins.com, our media staff, our, our communications department. Brett does such a great job getting all these notes and all these stats out. Devontae Parker posted his first 100-yard game of the season. 10 catches, 111 for Devontae Parker. It's the ninth 100-yard game of his career. That's tied for eighth most in Miami Dolphins history. He also finished the game with 259 career receptions for 3,698 yards. The 3,698 yards moves him past running back Tony Nathan for ninth place in team history in all-time receiving yards. And he is now just 340 yards shy of Jarvis Landry for eighth place. The 10 catches he had were a career high. And at the end of the 1 p.m. games across the NFL landscape, he had 1,280 receiving yards dating back to week seven of last year. And that, which encompasses 16 games, is the best in the NFL. If those 16 games were on its own, Parker's 1,280 yards receiving would be the fourth best mark in single season Dolphins history. So a good last 16 games for Devontae Parker. We talked about Xavier Howard picking off Russell Wilson in the end zone there with five minutes to play in the third quarter. 
14th pick for Xavier Howard in his last 26 games played since December of 2017. I told you about him leading the NFL in that time span. Kyle Fuller of Chicago, Kevin Byard, Marcus Peters, Quandre Diggs, Trey White, DeMonte KZ, and Marcus Williams go from 13 to 10 picks among those guys. Xavier Howard now stands alone since December 2017 with 14 interceptions. We talked about Jason Sanders going three for three in the first half, two for two in the second half, five for five in the game. He became the fourth kicker in Dolphins history to have two games with at least five field goals. Last December against the Jets, he kicked five in that, or kicked seven rather against the Jets on December the 8th. So Jason Sanders has been money in the bank. As far as injuries in this game, Devontae Parker, Bobby McCain, Austin Jackson, and Shaq Lawson all left the game with injuries, but all returned. So a good, uh, good news there on the Dolphins injury front. Eric Flowers made his 75th NFL start today. Bobby McCain played his 75th NFL game today. And Clayton Fedulum made his Dolphins debut. Chandler Cock had his first touch today, a three-yard reception in the game. First time he's had a carry or a catch in the NFL. Devon Godshaw had five tackles. He leads all defensive linemen in the 2017 draft class with 179 career tackles for the big guy for Devon Godshaw. A couple of individual notes we didn't cover here yet. I thought Matt Breida's burst looked really impressive in this game. That catch he had coming out of the pistol where he catches the ball, turns around and just turns on the Jets, ran by a couple of Seahawks defenders. He looked nice. I think he and Miles Gaskin are teaming up to start to look like a pretty nice little one-two punch there. Gaskin just so physical and such good contact balance. We just say it every single time. Despite the fact that he's not the biggest back in the world, he always finds a way to push the pile, get sideways, get skinny, press holes until the very last moment before he bounces it, bangs it, or bends it, and just finds a way to get extra yards on seemingly every single run. There was a run on the third drop before the third Sanders field goal where he was stacked up at the line or kind of behind the line and he just drove his legs through that thing and got a couple extra yards out of it was so impressed by the way he's able to do that over and over again I thought in the receiving department we talked about Devontae Parker a lot Isaiah Ford a trusted receiver over the middle had that big third and 10 catch and then Fitzpatrick had a big third and 10 run shortly after that as well I thought Jakeem Grant had some nice looking routes some nice catches in the game had a big third down reception over the middle on a crucial part of the game. So getting some more trust in the middle of the field there as well. Thought Mike Gesicki on that turkey hole shot early in the game between the over-the-top safety and underneath cornerback was such a great catch and throw from Gesicki and from Fitzpatrick. On the offensive line, love that heavy offensive line package we talked about a few times. Uh, Robert Hunt coming into the game, getting some real push there. Had Solomon Kinley with some good drive off a double team for Ted Karras in my notes here. And that continues to be a theme on this podcast, the double teams of the Dolphins offensive line. We'll get more into that later in the week about the offensive line. Kind of tough to see how they performed from my vantage point. Talked about Emmanuel Ogba and Shaq Lawson. They were in my notes a lot on the defensive line. And I think we pretty well covered the defensive backs as well on this particular play. So Dolphins fall to one and three. The individuals had some good performances as Ryan Fitzpatrick had said. I actually was a big fan of the play calling as well on offense. I thought there were some great designs. And one of the things I think that Chan Gailey has done such a good job of this year is that third and short offense, like the third and one, third and two, working off that play action, bringing Fitzpatrick across the formation on a bootleg. Today he had that really nice play where they'd snuck Durham Smythe across the formation and completed a pass to him. So been a big fan so far of the play calling and finding different you know, different options in the passing game. Something John Jemmy and I spoke about pregame was they got to find a way to get the ball spread around and kind of test the Seattle defense. Don't let them lock in on one guy and spread them thin and use those matchups to your advantage. We thought they did a good job of that in this game as well. And speaking of John, let's go ahead and bring him on and get John Conjemi's three takeaways to close up this Sunday recap edition of the Drive Time Podcast brought to you by AutoNation. 
where every vehicle sold and serviced is sanitized. Keep driving safe at AutoNation.com. It's also where Dolphins fans can sell their vehicle for cash right now, again, at AutoNation.com. And speaking of John Kinjemi, Miami Dolphins multimedia host and my new seat neighbor in the Dolphins press box there at Hard Rock Stadium, let's go ahead and welcome in John Kinjemi right now. John, how you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, Travis. How about yourself? Well, you know, I told the folks in the podcast that I drive home, just it, I think about the game and kind of replay it in my head. And I was a little bit upset today, but after some time to kind of marinate the loss and think about it, I've kind of seen the bigger picture. Maybe you can help us do the same. I'm not sure. I want to get to your takeaways, John. Let's just go ahead and start with number one for you. Well, I, I guess the first takeaway is that there were too many, I, I guess you could call it explosive plays for Seattle. Now, this is an offense that's going to have explosive plays, but you're going to need to limit those at some point in the game. And it just seemed like the Miami Dolphin defense, for as much pressure as they put on Russell Wilson, and for as much good as they did for the majority of the game, they just allowed too many plays. I mean, I was counting as I was doing the postgame show, and there might have been 12 plays of over 11 or 12 or 13 yards, but they just weren't 15 and 16 and 17. They were the variety of 57 and 35 and, and 37 and 18 and 17 and 23 chunk yardage plays that a defense – that's you know kind of trying to grind it out against one of the best quarterbacks uh, arguably could be the best quarterback this year uh, after four games you just can't withstand that for four quarters and I, I think it kind of wore the Miami Dolphins defense down and and it it kind of exposed a little bit again of Noah Igbenogany or or Nick Needham in in a situation right before halftime where you get a a 57-yarder where you you should be as deep as the deepest player on the field. If you're safety, if you're corner, if you're nickel corner, it doesn't matter. Let people catch uh, the 12-yarder in front of you. If they break a tackle, it's 18 yards, but it doesn't turn into 57, and it doesn't turn into points. So that's probably my first takeaway. Too many explosive plays for the Seattle Seahawks, a team that doesn't need any help scoring points. <laughs> no, they certainly don't. And that was something that I was curious to ask you about is, I guess we'll, we'll kind of do a two-pronged here. One, is that something that you think is easily fixable or something they can just make a quick correction on? Because you, you talk about, John, the, the fact that they did, you know, the first seven possessions of the game, 17 points for the Seahawks. That's I thought that was a hell of a job on the defensive side, but then you mentioned it kind of wears on them, a couple of big plays. Obviously, the play at the end of the first half, that just that can't happen. We, we talked about it. It just cannot happen. You talk about getting as deep as the deepest guy. Is that something you can just kind of you know fix and turn around real quickly, or does it take more time? No, I think you can. I mean, it, it's basically rules and assignments, and they were bust in the rules and assignments. And, you know, you have accountability for each player on the field. You know, if you're an offensive guy and you're saying, you know, I'm going to put this up on the whiteboard, and every play is designed for a touchdown. You're blocking this guy, you're taking this angle, you're hitting this crease, you're beating this defender, it should be a touchdown, right, yeah. uh, in fantasy land. But, you know, on defense, it's the same way. I have a defender for this. I'm taking this leverage away. Uh, so you can't get outside and set the edge like Van Ginkle tried to do today and was run around for another one of those big explosive plays. So there, there's different rules and different assignments and different expectations for each player on the defensive side. And I think that there's, there's been some, you know, major bust on certain plays, not for the majority of the game. I'm talking about snapshots of plays during a game that you lose concentration, you may lose focus, or you may just flat get beat out. 
and they turn into big plays that gain momentum and more most importantly they put points or lead to points on the scoreboard and i look at the dolphins seven for 13 on third down today on offense and the seahawks offense was only four of 10 including a failed fourth down so four for 11 on the money down just look at those stats you would assume that the dolphins had the benefit the advantage in this game and that's kind of why i led into this podcast talking about how i was encouraged by certain things because they went toe-to-toe with this team that you know is 4-0 and probably going to compete deep into january so that's you know it's a balancing act for sure john but at the end of the day they come away short on the scoreboard what was your second takeaway from that john in this game well, I just think, you know, the lack of ability to score points in terms of in the red zone, you know, being able to convert, being able to cash in on a lot of these drives where you took five, six, seven minutes off the clock and kept Russell Wilson on the sidelines or took advantage of pretty good field position and then had to settle for three. Now, I'm not saying that three points in the National Football League you should take for granted, but five of those opportunities by Jason Sanders could have been three opportunities, and you cash the other two in for points in a one-score game at the end of four quarters, you may end up with a different outcome. And, and I think there, there has to be more shots, not particularly, Travis, in the red zone, but on the fringe of the red zone. There has to be those explosive plays to a 6-6 Mike Kosicki in the end zone or a 6-5 Preston Williams or a 6-3 Devontae Parker because if you don't complete it, you may get P.I. and you may get down to the two-yard line or the one-yard line, and now you're now you're in prime position to cash in for six instead of three. The inability for the Dolphins to turn into some of those drives into touchdowns really, uh, you know, we talked about momentum on defense, how that kind of drags the energy out of you when you allow a 57 yarder or a 35 yarder well it does the same thing for an offense when you're grinding down the field and you're making plays and you're throwing four plays in a row and they're all completions you get to the red zone you run the football you throw an incompletion you take a sack or a scramble and you're kicking a field goal that's demoralizing to an offense after a period of time and i think that's what happened today the miami dolphins they got down there they were knocking on the door they couldn't punch it in, and the Seahawks really won by uh, you know their strength of their of their red zone defense. That's a really good point. They talked about that post game. Uh, the coach, you know, Coach Flores and the players talked about how the red zone gets tighter, tighter windows down there. Safeties are coming up closer to the line of scrimmage. There's not as much space to operate in. So you, you talking about going in from you know 25 to 35 yard range and taking your shots from there. I recall charting you know Ryan Tannehill and Kenny Stills touchdown passes a few years back, and they were all like you mentioned, John, in that range. Like 10 of the 11 or something like that were from that range. So or whatever the number was, a high percentage of it came from that outside the red zone area. So a good point there. I have a follow up question for you on that. Is you know. One of the things I talked about before I brought you on, John, was that this team, they're close to finding ways to you know win games at the end, but they just haven't been able to do that so far. Is finishing games and, and learning how to finish in games, is that a learned skill? Like, Is that something they can, they can kind of grow and develop into? It is. I, I think it's all about execution and confidence. Uh, I think when you get in those positions, the more times you can, you can be successful, the more times you can have... Uh, a drive or an explosive play end in a touchdown, the more confidence you have of you can do that with more regularity. And I think it's it's one of those things that has to happen. For the Dolphins to get over that hurdle or that hump or that that stigma of not being able to score once they cross the 20-yard line, or at least not score touchdowns, you have to do it. It's it's a learned trait. You have to be able to, to get in. I, I think the Dolphins did that 
you know, last Thursday night against Jacksonville, much lesser opponent, but still they were able to execute and they were able to get people open. They had wide windows to throw to uh, on a slant to Williams, on a corner to Kosicki. They were, they were able to find matchups to exploit and take advantage of. And I think today the competition definitely rose a little bit in terms of the caliber of defense, in terms of each individual player. But I just don't think they didn't, they didn't win those one-on-one battles nor did they give themselves an opportunity to maybe get into a different type of play that that really put the spotlight on uh, a six 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 five or six three guy going up for a jump ball or or on a pick play getting uh, the right outcome that they were looking for and uh, pressure in the pocket you know and the inability to Travis I, I think it's important that the Dolphins have to find a way to run the football if they're going to choose to do so more effectively in the red zone and not allow uh, contact behind the line of scrimmage. It kind of sets you back and kind of gets that, oh, no, here we go again feeling. Yeah, the big third down and three play to Miles Gaskin, I think, really changed the course of the game because he picks up two yards there, third and one. You know, you probably are fourth and one, rather. You maybe you have a different outcome there. So good point there, John. Takeaway number three from you is what? I just thought there, there were two parts of the game that, uh, struck me that were very important the breakdown before halftime and then the Dolphins ability not being able on in the fourth quarter when they got the 29 yard field goal uh, they had to settle for three and you mentioned the, the Gaskin run gets them down to you know the three yard line and then they get a tackle for loss and I thought they they should have rolled the dice there and maybe gone for it so I, I'm gonna say that there was a bit of a breakdown before halftime, that's my takeaway. You know, the score should have been uh, 10-9 maybe going to halftime instead of 17-9. And even though the Dolphins came out and withstood a, a long drive with a, an interception by Xavier Howard in the end zone, and they, they turned that around into points, another field goal. But I just thought that going into halftime after giving up points with only 24 seconds remaining uh, before you get to halftime, and then that long drive coming out, that here we go again type of feeling they they put a stop to it but that's that's almost seven minutes off the clock on that drive where you can't get it back and in you're a team that's settling for field goals that's going to catch up to you at some point in the game and I, and I think it caught up to the Miami Dolphins so I, I just thought that that momentum before halftime and then not being able to to get it in after the the, the Howard interception uh somewhere along those lines something had to go different for the Dolphins to win the game John we've done three of these so far the one we didn't do the Dolphins were victorious on so maybe we are the bad luck I'll charms. talk to you in three weeks <laughs> yeah, there you go but ho- <laughs> hopefully we're doing this next Sunday after a win in San Francisco John I appreciate your time tonight man uh, and uh, we'll we'll do it all over again one week from tonight thanks you too bud alright see you, John and there he goes, and there we are going to go for this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast there with John Jemmy and Kim Camper. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Till next time, fins up.